everybody, and welcome to the Words Over Whiskey podcast, episode 38. It is 38. Now officially 2024. 2024. 2024, yeah. Don't, does it have a good ring to it? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. 2024. Better than 2023. It's better than 2023. Yeah. Nice. It's a nice even number. Even number, even yeah. number, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yes, despite being 2024, we are here to do our 2023 wrap up. So it's kind of become a bit of a tradition on the podcast at the start of every new year. We have a little look back on the previous year at the podcast, some of our favourite books, some of our favourite whiskies from the year, and just have a little discussion about the upcoming year as well. Absolutely. So, Tom, kick us off with our first whisky, because we've got a range today. We've, we've, got, got, a, we've got a good range to get through. So, you, I've bought a couple, you've bought a couple, and I think I can see a bit of a theme here, I think, because it's winter, we're going with something a bit peaty. A bit, bit warming, a bit warming. Absolutely. <clears throat> so you've bought the first bottle. Yes. We're going from the left. 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 I can't tell my left from right. Work our way along. So we have today a bottle that was gifted to me by a very good friend, um, which is in the Alchemy series. It's number four. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's called Black. So the Black Bottle was a series of whiskies, and this one is uh, Smoke and Dagger. So yeah, Black Bottle is a uh, uh, blended whiskey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they have their typical yeah blended Scotch whiskey, and then I think they have what they yeah what they call their Alchemy series, which they have quite interesting names for, like you said, Smoke and Dagger. Yeah. Um, and I think that just means each one is made up from different um, smoky whiskies. So they probably make a combination of different smoky whiskies, and then give it weird and. Wonderful note. I'm wondering what the dagger part is. <laughs> take a sip. Take a sip. What stabs you from behind? <laughs> I was like, ah, I get it now. <laughs> Wonderful. So we try it. Yes. Unfortunately, it's not a cork. I can't pop it. <laughs> uh, where's your bottle? No, it's your glass. Thank you. There you go. No, I think I've. I haven't had this black bottle before. I have had another one. I had a miniature, which I think was just their standard um, core entry in their blended range. It was, yeah, I remember it being quite nice. Yeah. Well, getting the peat. Kind of quite iodine-y. It's not quite as in my face as, as I'd think. No. We're nosing it now, by the way. It's more... Like I said, iodine, sort of a bit medicinal smokiness, you know, like... Um, yeah, like um, like in a hospital. Yeah, it, almost like a it's like cleaning product. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy your bleach, Henry. Yeah, I actually emptied the bottle out before you came. <laughs> this is my attempt to poison you. Yeah. Live on it. We're not live. But I've recorded it. I mean, the worst murder... That's why it's called Smoking Dagger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's the army stabbed in the back. It's not literally. It's like grassy. Grassy note. Purple. I'm getting like um, not charcoaly, but like the feeling you get at a barbecue. It might just be a general peatiness. Char- I, I appreciate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so getting, and it's not charcoal on the barbecue. You, you mean char- unless well, it could be a wood fire barbecue, I guess, but it doesn't remind me of wood smoke. If I'm honest. No. It could be the general smokiness, but it, it, it does. It. I, I'm mostly getting that. Is that sort of that more sort of grassy 
No, it's not that sort of um, bomb. It's not like bonfire smoke. No, anything. it is quite earthy. Mm. Yeah, the grassy, earthy, iodine note. I think. Anyway, let's give it a try. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, I like that. It kind of starts off quite smooth and mellow, and you get like the slightly earthy notes. As you swallow it, you get the peat. You get the um, sort of like explosion of like a bit more warming. As it yeah, goes absolutely. Yeah, I definitely get that more sort of grassy note at the start, and then it kind of develops into a more sort of earthy note. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's still that slightly, slightly menthol iodine note to it. Sort of now. Drunk it, that's kind of yeah, that menthol ID note kind of lingers in my mouth a bit. This whiskey tastes good and it can be used to cure wounds. <laughs> uh, let's not test that theory. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it pulls out the dagger, they call ah! it dagger for a reason, Henry. <laughs> yeah, it pulls out smoke grenade in the dagger, it's like, ah, that's why it's got that name. <laughs> they come free packets from every bottle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's um. I'm glad we're st- starting with a, a, a blended um, whiskey because I was thinking for this this year on the podcast, I think um, last year we tried to do a few more international whiskies, which I think yep. I would like to continue this year. Absolutely. Um, but also I think we should try it's and It's good do, to bring it home. Yeah, do some, well, do some blends, but also do some like grain whiskies as well. Yeah, yeah. Because I think often they're they're kind of fly under the radar a bit and I think you can have some nice ones mm-hmm. um, some good blends and some good grains so what's a good example of a good grain whiskey ooh um I can name a couple of distilleries which I know tend to be good North British um, mm-hmm. Cameron Bridge those are a few that I've kind of learned through work um, and had the chance to try some of those they'd be quite nice um oh, was it, I can't remember where it was from but I tried a grain whiskey recently um and it was uh, it was really quite nice and it was very sort of like I got a lot of like vanilla marshmallow note to Ooh, it which was really quite nice. sweet yeah but it wasn't like um, sort of like bourbon sweetness um, that it wasn't like oaky vanilla note um, you often get from bourbon but it was it was different so I thought that would be quite interesting if we maybe because we've I, granted I love single malt scotch mm-hmm. and we've had a lot of that on the podcast I thought maybe we could try bringing on some grains Grain whiskies as well, maybe some rye. I don't think yeah. we've had a rye whiskey. We had a rye last year, did we? Oh, the you're, Woodford, you're, Woodford Reserve, yes, the Woodford rye. Um, but we, that rye is not something we've really done. No, we haven't explored it much actually. So maybe that's something we could do because I know there's like Canadian rye, mm. so that would kind of fit our international. Quick bit of whiskey trivia for you: What did Canadian whiskey used to be called? Ah, uh, you've done this one before. <laughs> I forgot. Brown vodka. That was it. <laughs> I was about to say brown bread, but then I was like... No, you're oh, thinking of the, the Peaky Blinders reference. Blinders. There's nothing wrong with sneaking a Peaky Blinders reference in here. Yeah. But, yeah. So I think, yeah, maybe... Because I've got a couple of um, blended whiskies at home that I haven't actually opened yet. Okay. So I've, I've, I'd actually been saving them to bring on the podcast. And I thought, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll try and maybe do a few more blends and grains this year. So I'll bring them out on one of the future episodes. Absolutely. Um, so that'd be good fun. Um, so yeah, for our wrap-up, I think people who've listened before, we kind of tend to go through um, a mix of our favourite, our top five books and top five whiskies 
from last year, yep. as well as a few of our honourable mentions. So I thought we will kick off proceedings with our honourable mentions for some books. Yep. Do you like to go first? I'm happy to go first. I am happy to go first. So this year I've actually been extremely organised. And from last January, I kept a note on my phone of uh, our top five books. And um, when a book was knocked off, got on, on the honourable mentions. And that lasted for a couple of months. And then the uh, organisation was <laughs> completely out the window. So I have, on, I have a couple of honourable mentions that were knocked off the list because not many things got knocked off, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so my first honourable mention is uh, a book called God's Grave by J. Christoph, which was I made it, that it made into the honourable mentions because there's a different book by J. Christoph in the uh, top, top five. five, and it's not really fair to have two by him. <laughs> and I read this one first, and it was originally in the top five and got knocked out by the other J. Christoph book <laughs> that we'll talk about later. So God's Grave is the second book in um, the series that was started by Nevernight by J. Christoph. I think it's called the Nevernight Chronicles, I think. Nevernight series? Nevernight Chronicle. It's the second book in the Nevernight Chronicle. And the Nevernight Chronicle is about a young woman who, uh, in the fantasy world, goes off to train to be an assassin. Hmm. And basically, imagine Harry Potter if he was paid to be kill- to killing to kill people rather than learn magic. So kind of like... Harry Potter slash The Punisher. Sort of, but not set in our world, completely in a fantasy world. And The Punisher kills people because they fucking deserve it. Whereas, um, or because he just thinks they deserve it. Whereas, um, I haven't seen The The Punisher. You'll have to correct me me on that. Whereas this person, they sometimes deserve it. They sometimes don't. And she does not care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So basically just a murdering psychopath. Well, she does have a revenge plot as well. But whether they deserve it is up for debate because of where they're written. Some of them definitely do. Anyway, I've got a complete, complete digress. I love this book because I've come to care for the character as he's gone on another adventure and it was just really well written. Any other honourable mentions? Yes. A Darkling Plane by Philip Reeve. Which so I actually read last January. and it, That's part of the Mortal Engine series. It's yeah. the last in the original four books. Hmm. And I really I enjoyed it. That series. It was a, it's so an amazing good. series, and it was such a good ending as well. It was a perfect ending to their story. Yeah, it was really, really. Yeah, I think I think I read it like in my early teens. I think um, you gave me this copy actually. Possibly, maybe I, I can't remember. Yeah, I I do remember that. I, I remember that series with quite a bit of fondness. Mm. And then he did the um, the prequel. I think he did I trilogy read those yet. as well. Yeah, trilogy. Fever Crumbs. Yes, I think I read the first couple. Um, those were really good as well. I'd recommend those because they give you a lot of um, context to certain characters in the oh, okay. main series as well. It's like, oh, okay, that's how so and so ended up to be there, and or that's how that event occurred, and everything like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, I completely. Oh, yeah. Oh, that series kind of completely skipped my mind, but yeah, it's so good. I, th- I really love how in the series. Each book, they're actually set a long distance apart, time-wise. The, yeah, the first, the first, there's the first two, mm-hmm. which kind of take place over about a year or two. Yeah. And then there's a time skip. And I think that time skip works really well. Yeah. Because you see these characters sort of grow up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, literally grow up. They're like, mid, not, not middle-aged, but approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I kind of, uh, yeah, until you said that, I kind of forgot about that series, but it's, it's one of those ones that... 
I think time skips they happen a lot in like anime and other TV shows but I think they don't happen often in fantasy books no not unless not often in the middle of a series it's more often if there's like a sequel series yeah oh yeah that characters were from the previous trilogy or whatever I think it actually is an underrated plot device that is actually in my opinion especially in this series could work really well and it does doesn't it absolutely absolutely and I just I really like the ending I um, teared up a little bit and I just think it worked really well hmm. but I can't no, say any more spoilers no, but the ending of that book did I can still remember it now it's still emotional isn't it it's yeah a, it, was a, it was a good ending it was a good ending he really aced that um, and then my other honourable mention is The Ninth Reign by Jen Williams um, I don't know if I've mentioned that this one on the podcast. I don't, oh, I don't think so. So this is a book. It's set in, again, it's a fantasy world. And it's a world which is um, every, I, I, I don't know what, it's like a regular period of time, it's like a millennia or something. These creatures, which are strongly implied to be aliens, they've got spaceships and shit, they attack this fantasy world. And the world can only defend itself thanks to this godlike tree, um, which bears this, this, this fruit that's absorbed into these monsters that uh, defend the world. And after the last rain, it's, it's been the year now since I've read this book. I can't remember if the last rain was the ninth rain or if the next rain is the ninth rain. But after the last rain, the tree died. But everyone thinks the aliens were wiped out too. And the story is set on one of the last guardians of the tree. who's given up hope and now wanders the world as this immortal swordsman. And he meets an archeologist and a young witch on the run and they have adventures. And it's, it was just really fun to read. It's had a pretty, quite, like, quite an entertaining fantasy series. It's really... It, it, I liked how different it was. I was like, going to say that, because you don't often get like fantasy combining with sci-fi in that way. I've seen it more often than you think. But actually, the sci-fi was really underdone. You don't see it very much at all. Yeah. You do definitely get hints of it, and there's lots of steampunk elements. But what I liked about it was, there was A, no politics. There was no kings, no lords, no mayors, no politics. The main character, whatever the politics of the land are, the main characters are beneath its notice and they don't get involved. They're exploring, they're doing archaeology, that sort of thing. They're not getting involved in the fates of nations. Yeah, they're kind of like concerned with their own. Their own uh, problems, basically, yeah. Absolutely. They 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 don't get involved in any of that. Which, not often in an epic fantasy series, they'll get sidetracked by that sort of thing while the main threat's developing and then have to deal with that. I think of so many fantasy series like that. Yeah. Game of Thrones, for example. Game of Thrones is all about politics. Like yeah, no, that's, I guess you're, that's very but, fair. But you get my point. Yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones, it works very well. It does, and that is really the point. You're quite right. But I, I just liked how it wasn't... There's no knights, there's no... There's not really any wizards or mage or proper mages. There's no. Um, there's none. Of, there's none of that. They're like. There's none of sort of like the typical fantasy. A lot of the, over. Over any, any overdone trope isn't really seen in this. No, absolutely not. It's. It, it, I liked how different and refreshing it felt. Hmm. Absolutely, and the characters were really well done. Really, I can still visit. It's been a year since I read it. I think I read it last January or February, and. I can still visualise them really well. Yeah. And I can, I can picture them perfectly, even to this day. So, yeah. It was on the, five, the top five list. It got pushed out, unfortunately. 
but uh, definitely not an honourable mention. Yes. What about you, Henry? So, my honourable mentions. So, three of these, they're honourable mentions, kind of, because they didn't quite make my top five, but they're, they're books that I think I would find useful to definitely read again in the future, because mm-hmm. I think I picked out some, like, some good lessons from them. Yep. And then there's one other one, which I'll give except explanation for what I enjoy. So the three that I kind of quite enjoyed for the lessons. So Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Mm-hmm. The Habits of Excellence by Lieutenant Colonel Langley Sharp. And The Wisdom of the Bullfrog by Admiral William um, McRaven. I recognise the name of the last one. Admiral McRaven. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah. Yeah, which... Yeah, it's another one of his sort of short little books but mm-hmm. with lessons and stories from his time in the military. Yeah. Um, so all three of these, I kind of, I really enjoyed, really enjoyed them. And I think the, um, sort of the less, some of the lessons I've um, taken on board and they're ones where I'm like, I know I will probably reread these. Like they, these will stay on my shelf and I will dip back into them and I will probably reread them. So I kind of felt they deserved a place on my honourable mentions for that. Um, and then the other book is Who is Michael Ovitz by Michael Ovitz and really then, yes. um, <laughs> wait he wrote a book it was an Who is Michael Ovitz by Michael Ovitz yep <laughs> really yes well I have a question who is Michael Ovitz so he was and a, why is he so full of himself so he was a really big um, agent in Hollywood oh okay um, and he has an interesting connection to something I'm looking forward to this year. I can't remember. If, I think I have a feeling I might have mentioned this book on the podcast, but I can't, or I might have mentioned it to you outside of the podcast. But he helped the author of Shogun. Oh, James Clavell. Yep. He helped him get a TV show made of his book, which was made several years ago Mm -hmm. however now they are remaking it on Disney and I think it's coming out later this month so wait 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 they they made a TV show of Shogun a couple of years ago quite a few years ago was it released then yes oh oh okay Um, they've done done it better now they've done it they are redoing redoing it redoing it now Uh, I have a feeling we might have discussed this on the podcast Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. Um, yeah you did yeah you did say but yeah, it was just, it was just a really it was a really interesting book and just like it's crazy how many connections he had to famous people and his whole story and everything and yeah it was just a it was an interesting book as well. I think anything to do with Hollywood's really interesting. Yeah, it was just I'd never really read a book about an agent before and I don't didn't really know any of the workings with, within. It'd Hollywood. be quite interesting to compare this book to a book I read a few years ago. Um, it's based on a. Um, a semi-popular film called Get Shorty um, include, uh, um, starring John Travolta and I think the book might actually have a very similar name it might be Get Shorty as well it's about a New York gangster who goes to uh, LA to try and reinvent himself as a um, uh, as an agent mm. I think it's an agent he uses his mob tactics to do so <laughs> ostensibly he's there in LA to track down this guy who owes the mob money hence get shorty he's getting this guy um, but he's actually there to try and reinvent himself and the mob eventually get tired of him and sends someone after him and it's actually really a really good book well there isn't anything, anything quite as dramatic as mob hitmen and everything <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was really interesting and it was quite when I read that 
section where it was talking about James Clavell and Shogun and everything. I was like, I've got to tell Tom about this. And then like mm. two, a month or two later, I saw this, I think it was on Instagram. I, was, I saw the trailer for the new Shogun, um, Shogun. Sh- Shogun show that they're making for Disney Plus, which I think, I think it comes out later in January. I think it's like 22nd January. Oh, sure. I think it's, I think, or it could be April. I can't remember, but I, I'm pretty sure it's soon. And yeah, no, it was just it was just quite an entertaining read. Uh, quite enjoyed it. So yes, those are my honourable mentions. Some for some lessons that I'm sh- sure I will revisit. And then just some ones was just, just interesting. Yeah, one that was just quite quite interesting. Um, so do you want to delve into a little bit of whiskey trivia? Whiskey trivia. I am. St- I was still responsible at the moment, at least, for the whiskey trivia on the podcast. Um, trivia corner with Tom. Trivia <laughs> with Tom. Trivia with Tom. Mm. And yes, I have two bits of of um, of whiskey trivia for you. Let's go with the first one, and then we'll let's go with the first one. So, as you know, one of my favourite whiskies is the Glen Turret Triplewood. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that 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 is Glen Turret that makes it. Yeah. And there's been a tradition for a long time that Glen Turret has a resident cat. <laughs> More specifically, a um, resident mouser. Its job is to hunt cats. Did you know? That between the 60s and late 80s, one of them was so proficient. In its 24 years of life, it caught and killed 28,899 rodents. So, this was Towser the Mouser. So, fun, I'm going to interject here. Fun thing. The Towser cask? Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I'll get to that. Okay, you can get it on so I've actually been to Glen Turret. Oh! I, I got I got to go there with work last year. And so I've been to the distillery. Mm-hmm. Um, so Did you meet their current cat? I have met their two current cats. Turret. Glen and Turret. Turret, you met Turret. <laughs> yeah, so I think Glen was the orange one and Turret is the grey one. Yeah. And they uh, like to sleep in the, um, the still room because it's nice and warm. Um, and they're very cute cats. Uh, <laughs> But the cat you have mentioned, Towser the Mouser, they have a statue. They do. Out, the yeah, cat. they have him because he's killed so many rodents. I think it's a she, actually. Or C. It might be a she. You're quite right. Um, but yes, they have a statue of said cat on the distillery grounds, which is really quite interesting. <laughs> and that's because she killed nearly 30,000 rodents in her tenure there. She came to the distillery in the 60s and died in 1987. And um, at some point, some representatives of the Guinness Book of World Records went to the distillery. And you're probably wondering to yourself, how did someone count how many fucking rodents this cat killed? Mm. So um, these representatives from the Guinness Book of World Records um, followed the cat for a few days. And it's can't be too easy to do. And worked out how many, you know, uh, analysed its activities and used that as like an average to work out. So it's a, it's a rough 28,899 uh, mice that this cat's killed. Personally, I think that the representatives of the Guinness Book of World Records spent the time at the bar and made up the figures. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're probably like, fuck following this fucking cat around in the scenery. Let's go drink some whiskey. Let's go drink some whiskey. Oh, I bet it's killed. So someone worked out if it lived for 24 years and killed 28,899 mice, that's three or four mice a day. So they probably were sitting in the bar going, you know what? It's killed three or four. Let's just say that and get, keep drinking. Rat infested going to Well, yes, you're right. What a fucking infestation. Three or four a day. <laughs> 
Bloody hell. But 24 years is actually quite long for a cat. I was going to say, that is an old cat. Can you guess how or what they think caused it to live so long? It's a good clue that I've already given you. Um, I'm going to say either all that protein from all the rats, mm-hmm. all the cat was drinking the aquavitae, the water of life, and was drinking some of the whiskey. You're absolutely right. They were giving it a little dram in its evening milk. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they think it was uh, living for so long. So, you know the old nursery rhyme? Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. It's because Towser fucking killed them all. That's why. <laughs> that's a bit dark. So anyway, that's your first bit of whiskey trivia for you. And um, to mention the cask that I talked about earlier, in honour of Towser for killing so much rodents, they have actually released the Towser cask. And you can't see it at home, but I'm showing Henry a picture of Turret, the cat he met, which is indeed <laughs> Brownie Gray, sitting on top. Oh, I didn't see that when I was there. That's a shame. Otherwise, it would, that's, I would have got that. 60.2%. Fucking hell! For No, for £85, that is not too bad. It's not, is it? It's really no, for, not. For a high... For a really strong one. So this article I'm looking at is from 2017. Oh, blimey, so that's from quite a while ago. That's from quite a while ago. Yeah, course, I uh, definitely co- missed that. Then. Because, well, because Towser died in 87, oh. so that would be the 30-year anniversary of Towser's death. Mm. Who knows, maybe they'll do a 40-year-on. They might do a 40-year-on, like the Towser cast mark two. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to get that. Right. Well, before we move on to anything else, shall we move on to our next whiskey? So mm-hmm. this is my offering. Now, I have bought... Something that I know you will love. I've already seen the label. I know. I have brought, and I'm surprised we have not had this from anything from this distillery on the podcast yet, but I've That's brought true. Tom's, perhaps even above Glen Turret, I would say. Mm, one of my favourite distilleries. Probably your favourite. Mm. I have brought a bottle of Lagavulin. So when I first, well, one of the first whiskies I tried was Jack Daniels. And that was tactical. Because one of the second whiskies I tried was like a villain and the comparison was unbelievable because that was this was a, I've tried a nice bottle of like a villain like, I don't know I can't remember which one but it, it was it was a, a, a much more uh, appropriately priced so we say like 70 or 80 pound bottle that made me fall in love with whiskey yeah I think uh, yeah, like you, I think you've mentioned before, Lagavulin was your kind of gateway whiskey. Yeah, which absolutely. is amazing. Speaking how how many people have spoken in the whiskey industry where Lagavulin sixteen is their gateway whiskey? It's just just crazy. Um, granted, I think for so many of them, it's back when it was much more reasonably mm. priced than it is now. Because how much is it now? Tends to I find it tends to fall in the eighty to ninety pound range. Yeah, I think that's probably roughly what I think crazy. it was about seventy when I tried it. Yeah. I think the yeah the bottle I had I I picked up when it was on offer and it was on a good offer and I was like it's not my necessary go to whiskey but I'm gonna get this because it's just a good value yeah, at so, this point so good value and um, I was like, and plus if you meet a new person who's interested in trying whiskey you can be like well actually I've got yeah. the one just for you but the one I have here is actually a Lagavulin eight so a bit young uh, half half the age mm-hmm. of your favourite sixteen but this is one I actually picked up on auction earlier this year for about. I think about 20, 30 pounds less than it retailed at. Well done. So yeah, I picked up, I've managed to find a good bargain. There you go. Thank you very much. That's much clearer than I was expecting. Yeah. So I think this probably has, I think, I imagine this. Oh, that smell. 
my guess is comparing this to Lagavulin 16, I think this is a lot more bourbon cask, whereas I think Lagavulin 16 has a bit of sherry cask in there as well, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. This is 48% as well, which is not bad. That's yeah. Actually, that's quite nice. Um, but yes, on the nose. Now that's kind of like the peaty note I expect. That's well, what... actually, I'm not getting much peat. I think maybe because we've, we've already started on the peaty maybe. whiskey. I, don't, I think it's not as strong peaty as the Smoke and Dagger. I think for me, it's... Like I said, the Smoke and Dagger, I got that more iodine herbal note. This, I get that more slightly... More... F- fire smoke, I think. It's okay. definitely more understated. That, 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 that's what I'm getting from it. Uh, I think it's... Uh, I'm definitely smelling the uh, Bordeaux cask in there. Bordeaux cask? Well, what did you say, sorry? Bourbon cask. Bourbon cask. <laughs> the bee cask. As I said, as soon as I said bee cask. This, this smells good. It does it smell is, good, doesn't I, it? Like, it like, really like, does. As soon as it smells like, oh. Lagavulin, is, unlike you, isn't necessarily one of my go-tos, but... This smells good. This, oh, and smells no, good. I've, this isn't this bottle I've had open, so I've had some of it already. I've shared out some samples with friends and stuff. But yeah, this is this kind of feels quite fitting on a winter night as well. Yeah, it you know, does. Having these smoky drums. Anyway, cheers. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> we just saw my face as crinkle there. <laughs> I was just waiting for your reaction. I was like. I know it's going to enjoy this. I do enjoy it. I've got a great big smile. Kind of like slightly um, briny, smoky Hmm. tang, a bit of a slightly grassy note again. It's similar to the um, Smoke and Dagger, where at first it's quite mellow. You can pick out some flavours, and then you, as you as you swallow, it goes over your tongue and down your throat. You're like, there we go, there it is. So this, oh, this is interesting. So the um, Smoking Dagger, looking at the bottle now, I thought this was only 40%, but it's actually 46.3. Oh. And so the Lagavulin 8 is 48%, so it's only 1.7% higher. But I feel, Ooh. if I'm honest, I feel like, even though it's not too, a much higher percentage than I thought it was, I feel like the Lagavulin 8 feels just a bit more robust. It feels a bit more, <laughs> like it's got <laughs> something to it. Um, but no. Uh, it's just it feels really well done mm. it, it feels like it's been you know they know what they're doing and like a villain I'm getting even not, not that the people who made Black Bottle don't but like it's just yeah I think for me it's, it's I can't think of a single thing to complain about I can't think of a single knock to be made all they need is an apart amazing from, apart from the price range oh yeah that yeah, also wish... they don't have a cat that can kill as many mice mm-hmm. Even going back to the nose now, still getting a smack in, but I get almost like a little hint of pear drop to it. Ooh. Mm. I'll have to uh, <laughs> pour a few more there to find that, that, that pear drop. So, yes. We've done honourable mention of books. Yep. Let's go to. Let's do um, number five for our top whiskey, mm-hmm. and then number five for our top book. Okay, okay, and then you okay. Can Delve into our next bit of whiskey trivia after that. So I go first, then. Then you can talk, and then I will do the whiskey trivia. Otherwise, you're going to hear me talk for ages. Yes. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. So my number five whiskey was Springbank Ten. 
Interesting choice, interesting choice, I know. Because right. I think, if I remember correctly, I strangely enough preferred that to the, the String Bank 15 when we tried, when we had those both in the podcast. No, it was reverse. Was it reverse? I preferred was, the... In that case, say. it was the Spring Bank 15 that I went to yeah. say. Because I remember being surprised because the Spring Bank 15 was much more sherried. Yeah. Which is my usual preference. Yeah. And when you said the 15, I thought... I said, I think that's really interesting because I thought you were going to say... And you know something interesting about the Spring Bank? So yeah, Spring Bank 15 then, for that reason as well. Yes. Yeah. Spring Bank 15. Oh, granted, I love the 10 as well. Mm-hmm. I've still got some of both left at home. The bottles aren't quite finished yet. Yeah. I've kind of been slowly eking them out because Springbank on the market is still... Ridiculous. ...hard to find. It's become a bit easier now. I think you're finding it more mm. in retail places and a bit more availability. Um, it's no more no Springbank jokes. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, it, it still has that... Um, popularity behind it so it's still hard to find but it's i don't think it's quite at the level it was this is how you establish a premium brand isn't it in a correct way yes you have other premium brands which take the piss a bit like what like give me an example mccallum oh that's one for charging speaking of bits i'm going to talk about that later anyway keep going uh right so my number five was starwood left field oh interesting interesting Australian whiskey, I quite liked it. It was very it nice. Was really easy to drink. Very easy drinking, nice and fruity. Mm-hmm. I think I was drinking a lot of it over the summer, mixing it in some. Were you playing balls. some Starfield while you did that? No, it wasn't because I don't have Starfield. Neither do I, sadly enough, because I'm a massive Bethesda fan. However, it w- I think it'd be a very appropriate whiskey to drink while playing that <laughs> game. But yeah, I was drinking it over the summer. It was nice and fruity, kind of with the hot weather. It kind of worked. I was making highballs with it. So it was quite nice. Like if I had a day off, didn't have anywhere to go, anywhere to be, just a bit of Starwood, bit of soda, ice, highball, wonderful. Sit in the garden in the warmth, read a book, good. Yeah, it was just nice, fruity, easy dram, and it was such a good price as well. I think when uh, we got it, it was like I think it's only about thirty-five pounds, but mm-hmm. I've seen it on offer for twenty-five. Oh so, god, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's. Might need to pick up a bottle. Yeah. So, what was your number five for your top book of... Oh, my top book. 2023. Top five books, rather. So, although this is published as a book, it's not a novel, it's a novella. Okay. Can you describe for me and the audience... Yes. ...difference between what is a novella? What is a novella compared to a novel? Yes. It's about length. So, um, a novella is a novella is between seventeen thousand five hundred and forty thousand words, whereas a novel is forty thousand words or longer. That's literally the difference. You can, if you walk into a, a bookshop and you pick up a book and it seems really small, like there's not very many pages. Chances are it's a novella, mm. not a not not a not a not a natural novel. But that doesn't mean that you it's not any no, it's not good. It just means that they've condensed everything good about a novel into a much shorter story. <laughs> exactly. And I've been reading a lot more of these lately because I ha- I, I work a lot. Uh, my job requires a lot of my time. And um, I've gravitated towards these a bit because they're quicker reads and they're also often Short, very... Short and sweet? Yeah, they're, they're very, often very thought-provoking. Um, because you don't get the same emotional impact because you don't have as much time to establish characters 
and what they and their drama. So it's often more if you want to experience a really interesting sci-fi concept or something like that, then a sci-fi fantasy novella is what you're looking for. Mm. But the backstory for me for the build, so, this, so my novella that I'm talking about for my number five book is The Builders by Daniel Polanski. And the backstory is when I was growing up, I was a massive fan of the Red Wall series by Brian Jacks. Brian Jack. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's quite hard. And the Red Wall series, if you're not if you're not familiar, no. um, it's a series of books about anthropomorphic animals. Think Watership Down. Mm-hmm. If the animals could get up on their hind legs, wear clothes, and fight with medieval weapons. Okay. And form societies. And that's basically the Red Bull series of books. I'm just thinking of the Disney Robin Hood where... Robin yes, Hood actually, yes. That, is that, that's quite pot. similar, but a lot darker. A lot darker. Like, cannibalism so, level darker. So, like, Watership Downs. Yeah. I, I, Which, there's no, I, no, no, no... I remember watching that as a child. Absolutely horrifying movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think of the, yeah. that level of dark. So... But the... Cross, um, so, cross Watership Down with... Disney Robin Hood. Disney Robin Hood. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly what you're going for. That's pretty much exactly what you're going for. And I loved that uh, growing up. And um, I saw on a um, Instagram channel, which I keep sending you reels of Henry, um, where they said, oh, if you love these books as a child, look at these books as an adult. And the one for Redwall was The Builders by Daniel Polanski. So I had to read it. And it's a story about a mouse swordsman called just called the captain he's got he's a he's an albino mouse with a scar across his eye and he has a rapier sword i think and um he's basically getting this old team of killers back together to finish the mission that went wrong a decade ago or whatever earlier yeah. and um it's a novella so they don't waste any time getting to what they need to get to and it, it, it it's a bit it reminded me of like a, the uh, Magnificent Seven kind of vibes. <laughs> well, they're not helping anybody but themselves. No. And it was just so well written. Like I can't, there's not a single word out of place. Which is what's good about a novella because you have the chance to do that. And that's something you're very hot on when it comes to books. If yeah. you feel like an author's rambling a bit or they're not getting to, as you say, their promises, Yeah, you will... There's absolutely like, no time wasted here. There's absolutely none, and it, 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 it there were some twists and some turns and um, all manner of different creatures, but acting like a human would, and um, just perfect. Also, about a counter bearing sombreros. <laughs> Sorry, when a rat in a sombrero shoots at you with revolvers, you know you're in a good book. <laughs> So yeah, um, the builders by Daniel Polanski. It's my number five. I don't interesting to hear that one because I don't think that's one you mentioned on the podcast before. Or no, because I read it at the same time as a lot of other books that also got into the top five, and that's I probably got slightly overshadowed. Got overshadowed, and just to save time on the podcast, didn't mention it. Yeah, I don't think you even mentioned it to me off the podcast. So interesting to hear hear one. I think I did because we had the same conversation about Watership Down. I remember that before. One I must have forgotten. Right, so my top five. My number five from last year was. I don't think this will come as too much of a surprise. Because I is think it Mar- uh, somebody ra- uh, suddenly beginning with an R? No, no. Are you, who am I thinking of? The philosophy guy? Brian Holiday. That's it. Yeah, no, actually. No, it's not. Funny enough. 
not, uh, I've read only, I think I only read one of his books last year and it didn't <gasps> get onto my top five. Oh my god, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Questionable. <laughs> um, no, this is another author who I think has either made it onto my top five or my honourable mentions, at least for the past couple of years. And so this book is... Dresden Files Deadbeat by Jim Butcher yes he's definitely made on your top five before surely yes he no oh no he definitely has he's definitely made it at least into the top five if not the honourable mentions before it's such a good book oh uh, yeah it was I mean wizards fighting dark wizards with zombies yeah and necromancers it's just a name Deadbeat this yeah, ghosts and Zombie T Rex and I know that ending. I told you about that ending. The ending was so good, and then how much of the repercussions of the ending of that book have an impact on books following on? It's really good. Mm. It's just yeah, Jim Butcher is yeah. I think one. I think Joe Abercrombie and Jim Butcher are two of the best authors you've introduced me to. Absolutely, absolutely, they're just fantastic. They're absolutely fantastic. So yeah, that's just it's a great. Uh, fiction series Dead Beast definitely one of my favourites in that series yeah as well. I think I remember when I borrowed it off of you and you're like this is one of my favourites and I, f- I think I finished it I was like I think I sent you a message like just finished it I see why you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I've actually seen people make memes like when uh, people seem to compare Harry Potter to the Dresden Files sometimes <laughs> I sent you that video, didn't I? Yes, yes, you did. And um, people were like, Dres- uh, Harry Dresden, the Feast of Dark Lord in book five. <laughs> <laughs> the one I sent you, it's like, how did you kill a Dementor? Dementor's a man of Yeah, no, I sent that to you. I, th- I thought I sent no, that to you. No, I'm pretty sure I sent that to you. No, I definitely sent it to you. I'm pretty certain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember, but... It was, it, it, you mean Harry? Wait, he but, hasn't got glasses, but he's like six foot tall and he's got... Yeah, that's Harry Dredd, yes. not Harry Potter. <laughs> You're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can find it's like, a Dementor died? They can die? Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. using a lot of fire spells. Are you guys in Chicago? <laughs> and he's six foot what? Oh! Yeah, you got the wrong Harry. <laughs> Retreat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um... Right. Before we move on to the rest of them, carry on with your whiskey trivia. Oh, 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 oh. So, Mr. Henry, how many bottles of scotch do you think you have in your personal collection? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, God. Henry has put his head in his hands, audience, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I think... <laughs> I think in the region of possibly somewhere between 70 mm-hmm. to 100. Interesting. Well, those are rookie numbers because the world's largest collection of scotch, known as the Perfect Collection, contains... Can you guess how many bottles of scotch? I'm going to say something ridiculous like... 25,000. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's 3,384. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But that's still like, what, 100 times, 300 times uh, uh, many you yourself has. <laughs> so I thought that was a great bit of whiskey trivia. But because so I where put... Is that, where is that collection held? 
Well, bank heist. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Hear me out. I, I knew you'd ask this question, so I did some research, and it turned out across 2020 and 2021, the perfect collection was up for auction in various bits and pieces. You know, individual bottles for sale. Uh, was up for auction, so it's open sold. I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Can you guess how much uh, collectively the collection sold for? I would like say like. Two hundred and sixty-three million. Oh, again, massively over. Oh, hang on. Yeah, massively overestimating. Um, Nine point one million dollars. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going. That's the. Or six point six seven five million pounds sterling. So where? But that does include, for the record. So where was this collection originally held? Was well, it- we'll get to that. That does include, for the record, the first time a single bottle of whiskey sold at an online-only auction for a million pounds, and the first bottle in an online auction to receive to achieve one million pounds. Oh yeah, one million pounds. So basically, the first bottle to achieve a million dollars in an auction, mm-hmm. and the first time to achieve a million pounds in an auction because that one exceed- vastly exceeded. A million dollars. Can you guess the distillery both of these bottles came from? McAllen. Yes, I gave you the clue earlier in the episode. Mm. Yes, McAllen. So, um, to answer your question, they were held in the private whiskey library of a Mr. Gooding. Mm. Um, He dedicated two decades of his life in pursuit of, and to quote him, a perfect collection. Okay, I see now why I massively overestimated so this was a private collection yes I was thinking of just like a collection in the museum or something oh so yeah I uh, didn't specify enough so when you said because I was like I swear in like Edinburgh or somewhere they've got like a museum where there's like one of the biggest collections of scotch whiskey in the world or sorry something. I didn't realise no. yes it's a private collection ok private collection ok that makes a lot more sense It also is why I also overestimated on the price but also a private collection of 3,300 bottles by the time they auctioned them in 2020 across 2020 and 2021 3,900 bottles you know what I mean how do you store all of that a, a private storeroom or but hire a fucking garage for all those bottles. Yeah, something, something like that. I've I've seen video. I've seen videos on YouTube of people who they've literally bought storage units and everything. Yeah, to keep, and like they've got temperature controlled and of course they do. Keep well, their collection. I don't see why because on the research for this um, uh, whiskey trivia, I saw that um, a there was an explorer called some Ernest, I think Shackleton. Yes. An Arctic explorer, and they uh, found one of the whiskey bottles that he took with him, yep. which did not freeze even at minus thirty degrees. Yeah. And they took it to labs, and they have since tried to deconstruct it, oh. which is interesting. And I think there is a blend out there that is kind of basically the Shackleton blend, which you might have seen in Waitrose. In Waitrose, I have yeah. seen, yeah. Um, so yes, uh, yeah, that was a interesting. Interesting. I did contemplate getting that blend on one time and then talking through the story. Mm. That might have actually been one of our previous whiskey trivia. It might have been. It might have been actually. That does sound familiar. That's why I didn't talk about it today. I think I might have brought that up a couple of years ago. Um, which is, yeah, funny. It's funny. Yeah, we're go- literally going, going to full our, circle now. Yeah, we're going to our what? We started the podcast in 2020, so mm. this would be our what? 
So this will be going into our fifth year of the podcast. Oh, God damn. Yeah. Still going. Still going. It's going strong. Yeah. I'm still standing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Before we continue, mm-hmm. I've got an empty glass. You've got an empty I've glass. I've got an empty glass. Is it time to open the next one? Can I just say how much I've been looking forward to yes. this one? So, so this is the bot- the next bottle that you're bringing. Yep. And I have to admit, congratulations on the self-restraint this time, Tom. <laughs> so, I don't know what you mean. So, story time. So whoever listened to our previous episode knows that Tom had ordered a bottle that didn't turn up in time. Indeed. Bottle turned up. Tom drank said bottle despite saying he would save it. I make no. I have no memory of said promise. Which possibly is because of the bottle. Tom then proceeded to reorder the whiskey, but order another one. I upscaled, I believe. Upscaled. So I think I make up for it. Yeah. And I didn't even open this one, for the records. I know. So, Tom, tell us about this bottle. So, I made a random impulse purchase without any um, research for uh, one of our previous episodes of the... Uh, Balcones bourbon. This did not arrive in time. Uh, my impulse purchase was based entirely on the bottle. The liquid's very dark. I don't know if it's the bottle or just the liquid itself. And that, combined with the label, just looked so inviting in a kind of fiery, demonic kind of way. Do you get what I mean by that? Well, I mean, this is literally called... This This one you're holding up now, not the one you're referring to, but this one is called Brimstone. Yes, Balcona's Brimstone. So I really do think like the uh, um, hell imagery is, in, is included. So yeah, I got it based on um, uh, 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 how it looked. And yeah, it, it arrived too late to do the episode, and I didn't know when we'd make another episode. So I thought, well, I'll give it a try. Was it actually a good decision? And uh, that led to it in a tight bottle. Not, not the one that, sitting. But that wasn't bottle. this one. That was just their standard. That bottle. was their standard bottle. That was their standard bottle, and it was absolutely delicious. It was just such an easy drink and just so nice. So when you came to end up reordering another one, you ended up ordering this as well. This is a more a more expensive bottle that is or more premium, would you say? Um, I mean, it's. I think it's a higher proof, so it's a higher ABV. Oh, I see. And it's also, isn't it? It's. Smoked. They've peated this one absolutely. It's not peated. Not what? What? It's smoked. Oh, so I don't like know. salmon. Yeah. <laughs> the look Henry just gave me, ladies and gentlemen. So, as you can see on the bottom of the bottle here, Texas scrub oak smoked. Oh. So it's not peated because they haven't used peat because you don't really get peat in, in Texas. In Texas, or in America in general, really. Um, it's not peated whiskey is not something that really comes from America, but what they often do. I mean, I think we've had um, a couple of years ago we had the uh, wild turkey mesquite where they use the mesquite, I think, in the barrel or something. Mm-hmm. But there are whiskies out there where they will burn oak and dry the barley that way. So it's like oak smoked mm-hmm. rather than peat smoked. So this is... This is one of those. So we're on a smoky whiskey still, but it's not like the others where it's peat. This is going to be something else entirely. Oh. it is a... Um, it's my... It's just the... Oh, I was going to say, is this the first oak smoked one? But if you've had the, the uh, wild turkey... Did we have that one you mentioned? That wasn't the smoked, though. I don't believe. Oh, so okay. I think it was just the mesquite was just happened to be the what the barrels were made with. Um, if I recall, I can't quite... But uh, 
I think I have tried other American whiskies that have been oak smoked, but I'm not well versed in them. So this will be I have, really interesting. I have, I have tried the Brimstone before. It has been probably about over a year since oh. I last tried it, so I can't recall it very well. Same with the other Balconis, the um, bourbon you were talking about. I have tried that as well. I think you even gave me a sample from your previous bottle. Probably. Well, I did save which, you some. Which was nice. Yeah. You were meant to save the whole bottle. <laughs> but anyway, let's give this a go. It's got a proper cork. Oh, that was a very... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even finish saying this. that build up. <laughs> I was like, um, uh, oh. So very Can everyone just imagine a real nice cork sound, please? Yeah, you're right. It's very dark. Isn't it? It looks like, almost like treacle. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Ooh, that smells How's the smell? I think we're both going to enjoy this. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Again, I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting not, not peat, but not like peat, the smokiness. But it is that. It's it, like... Um, it's like, it's like the, barbecue. But like you've actually used like the sweet flavours that you used to barbecue. I'm getting some sweetness on like this. Barbecue, bit of barbecue sauce. Yes, barbecue sauce. Like wood smoked barbecue sauce. Mm. Yeah. Hickory barbecue sauce. <laughs> yeah, bit of oak, quite a bit of oak, vanilla, barbecue sauce. Honey. A bit of honey. Yeah. yeah. I got one! I got one! <laughs> I did it, Dad! I did it! I did it! I did it! I put it in the fridge! <laughs> This kind of make a nice. This is a nice little interlude, a nice little change up from the other two. Yeah, they're doing good. But this is kind of like this throws something different. It's curveball. Curveball. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. That's oaky. Mmm. Not nearly as heavy on the smoke as the others. Exactly. It's not as smoky. But do you remember what I've said in previous podcasts where I said I really like the oaky flavors? This has merged the two worlds, mm. and really well. Yeah, it is that kind of. It's not like where you've got a bonfire. It's like no. the ne- it's like the next day, where the bonfire's gone out, it's n- and there's just that hint of smoke in the air. I was going to say like like a um, fireplace. Yes, but not a sort of like lit one. One that's kind of like died out. But yeah, still got like you can lit it the night before to be warm and yeah, or. Yeah, like you have that lingering smoke and you've just brought in the fresh logs. Mm. And it's the smell of the fresh logs mixing with that lingering smoke. Mm. That is a good whiskey. So, a bit of um, insider knowledge from my time in the whiskey industry. Uh, I've already told you this. I think this is why you doubled up on your bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I think apparently... Balconis is being discontinued from the UK market. No! I don't quite know why. Um, This is just from sources that I heard that it is... Yeah, apparently they want to focus more on their American market. I have the horrible feeling that it's going to be focused on the American market. They might possibly to be to drive up the popularity of it. And then oh. release it back out, and then it becomes even more a premium product. Oh no! That's my cynical, cynical view. view. I can see why it would work. Like they let us try it, we go, we love it, and then they go, "Oh, we're not, you know, having it for a while," and then they release it, and we all start buying it and bump the price up. Yeah. Um. Which is a shame because I, I think I tried the sample you gave me. Like I said, I have tried them before. It's been a while. I do remember enjoying them. 
And then you gave me the sample of the standard bourbon over Christmas. Really enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this. Um, so yeah, might have to squirrel away a bottle, maybe. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to squirrel away a few yeah. because I can definitely see. We talked. We talked previously at the end of last year about mainstays on like a particular whiskey shelf, and if I had the chance, Balcones, they would be on there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, if if it becomes harder to get out here in um, the UK, you're gonna make a few trips to Texas for me. Take a take a few trips to the US. So I've got a friend who goes to Texas fairly regularly. Yeah. Interesting. That'd be cool to go to the distillery out there. <laughs> I, I've never done a I've never done an American distillery. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. No, I, this I, is nice. This is a good whiskey. I I can't see this lasting you very long. Mm. Or or is this one? No, I can't. Or is this one you're gonna say you are? Actually, no. You're, you're going to order a backup bottle, and then this bottle will disappear very quickly. <laughs> Do you know me too well? Yeah. You spent too much time around me. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I have known you for eight years, so... Dear Lord. <laughs> He's like, oh my God. I am <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. What have you been through? Yeah, coming up to nine years later this year. Dear Lord. I remember the first time we met. Yeah. <laughs> I think you might have even recounted the, that story on the podcast, I'm pretty sure. You were not happy. <laughs> I, I was like, I pissed him off already. It's because I didn't know who was knocking at the door of work. And I was like, who is this guy? And they're like, oh, it's the new guy. I was like, ah, makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw you walking over to let me in. And I was like, oh, he's not happy. <laughs> yeah, apparently I just have a, I have a serious face, apparently. <laughs> I was like, oh god! Yeah, some, Tom's like shaking his head vigorously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, see you walking through town sometimes, and I'm like, Henry, what's wrong? Like, oh no, it's Henry. He's like, who pissed him off? <laughs> I need names and addresses, Henry. <laughs> who upset you? Yeah. I just want to talk to them. I just want to talk to them. Like, Nothing wrong. It's like, why do you look so serious? <laughs> I'm always serious. <laughs> anyway. Let us shift back to our top five list. So, back to the whiskey. I'm going to go whiskey. first this time. Yes, of course. So, my number four from last year is the Cavalan Porecast Finish. Ooh. I cannot remember that one at all. I think it's... I brought it on the episode where I brought you a selection of my whiskeys. Yes. it was an episode where I wasn't drinking, but I bought you a range to try. Oh, right. But of course, because it was my whiskey, I had, I'd had it before. before I had it yep. since the podcast, and again, it was very. It, it was kind of like a nice summer drink. It was very sort of red, fruity. It reminded me a bit of like a crunchy red apple. Mm-hmm. Um, was really nice. Um, I just, it was something different because I, I've, I've tried a few Cavalans, but it's the only bottle that I owned. I said owned because I have now finished it. Um, um, but definitely enjoyed it them. Was, yeah, it was... It bottles was, with you, Henry, seem to last for a long time. Like, you have a little bit every now and then, but you've got so many bottles, it takes you a while to get through them. Yeah. So if you finish a bottle, it means you've targeted, if that's, if that's the right word, this bottle, it means you've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so hence, why when you said, what's my collection? It's because a number of those are unopened bottles. Some are open, but like you said, some of them, because I've got so many, and I've got quite a few open, I've got like 20, between 20 to 30 bottles open... I'm not just demolishing one bottle. 
Mm-hmm. Granted, some of them are like special bottles where I only dip into them now and again. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I've only got this one bottle. I won't get it again. I only drink it on special occasions. Whereas other ones, I will maybe they'll be like my go-to on my shelf. I have a few bottles like that where it's like these are my like every not everyday drinkers, but like my my Saturday night whiskey. Um, but like you said, for me to go through a bottle quite quickly, that's a that's a key that that's a standout that I do like him. But yeah, the Cavalan Portcast. I enjoyed it. Nice, red, fruity, pretty nice and tasty. What about you? Excellent. My number four car my number four was the Deanston ten. Something something the something Bordeaux something. Cask. That's the one. Bordeaux cask. Deanston ten Bordeaux red wine finish. Yeah, that was good. Deanston. It's just solid. Just, it's just reliable. Just one of my, probably one of my go-to. Just, I've got a bottle yeah, I've stuff. heard you wax lyrical about this distillery. <laughs> yep. The 18, so good. I've got a bottle of the 12 at home right now. I've got Would you say if you did have like, if you if you could have like a shelf that could fit, I don't know, five bottles, but they were like a, you could have any bottle you wanted and they would be limitless. Like you, they would refill themselves as fast as you could drink them. Would Deanston be on there? If I could have a limitless bottle of Deanston 18, hell yeah. Yeah? yeah. How much is, is the retail value for a bottle of Deanston 18? It is now about £90. When I bought it, my first and only bottle, I got it for about know, 65 hmm. which is a shame because it's gone up about £20. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's quite a lot. In about two years, which was so sad to see. I was like, why did I not buy a backup bottle? <laughs> why? <laughs> But uh, no, super good, uh, super nice. I love the 12 as well, much more affordable. You can find it on offer. I think it's usually about £45. It's not too bad. It's not too I bad. I picked one up not too long ago for £40. Yeah, just... And I've got, um, I've got a special bottle from them that I'm saving for my 30th. I've got a little bit less... Saving for your 30th. Henry, you've got a while to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it comes closer every day. <laughs> And you're closer to that than you are to 20 now. Oh. In fact, you're closer to 50 than you are to zero. Oh. <laughs> Why? Why do I have to say Why that? Because I'm cruel. <laughs> so, what was your number four book from your top five? Number four? My number four was... Oh. He is, this author is made it onto my top five last year, and that is that is Rob J Hayes, and this yeah, is very familiar. Yep, and this is a book called Titan Hoppers. It's relatively new. I think is it him. like a spin-off from Teen Titans? It isn't. In fact, has nothing to do with the Teen Titans. Surprisingly, <laughs> so this book is about. Um, the last remnants of humanity mm-hmm. exist on this migratory fleet of spaceships that are desperately searching the galaxy for resources. And luckily, they keep bumping into these giant alien ships, like gigantic oh, alien I'm ships. Really about this one now. Yeah. And so specialist teams go onto these ships to salvage resources and food for this fleet. And these people are called Titan Hoppers. And the armor they wear is... Think of, like, the armor in Destiny or Halo, 
the ar- where the armor has like a special ability. And um, in Titan Hoppers, it has a bunch of different abilities, and they make up like your class, as it were. Like honestly, if they made Titan Titan Hoppers, would work really well as a video game. I was literally about to say, this sounds like a video game. It does, but it, it, it's actually got it actually would do really well as an anime. Would yeah. And in fact, some of the scenes, the way they're written and the characters, the way they are, would do amazingly as an anime. There are some scenes where there's like this, the, the, like these epic fight scenes. There's a character called Rolo who reminds me really, really well of the um, character from My Hero Academia, the homeschool teacher, Aizaroi. Um, uh, razorhead. Razorhead. He has this, exactly the same attitude. <laughs> but it's, it doesn't give a shit attitude. Doesn't give a shit attitude. Very much like your lesson today, you teach yourselves, sort of thing. But actually, he knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And his students do really well. And at one point, he is called on to actually act and absolutely, is an absolute badass. He really nails it. It's, one of the, it's probably a scene that completely stood out. I was sitting um, on the, by a pool in, the tro- in Spain. And I'm reading this, and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and I think someone did, but I was like, I'm going to try the pool. I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> I'm reading. Yeah, literally, literally. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> Never cider, please. <laughs> no, now you say it, I do remember you discussing this book before, mm. on a previous episode. And this um, book definitely overshadowed the builders, because I read them a week apart. Mm. I remember talking about this so much, like, I don't have time to talk about the builders. <laughs> but... It was at, it, this was really good. Another smashing entry from Rob J. Hayes. Yeah, that, yeah, I do remember that. That's been a name I brought up before really several begun times. To creep up from you, like before it's like Joe Abercrombie, Jim Butcher, your Lord and Savior, Brandon. <laughs> My Lord and Savior. But yeah, Rob J. Hayes is another one that I definitely recognize. Uh, recognize you mentioned him before. Yeah. He's just absolutely smashed it. Yep. absolutely smashed it right so my number four is 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now um, so yeah so how I discovered this book was through a podcast with uh, probably one of my favourite podcasters Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. whose books I think I have mentioned on the podcast on our podcast yes before mm-hmm. um, but he did this um, very short episode so usually he, he interviews lots of famous people, actors, athletes, ex-military, politicians, business owners. But he took this um, chapter from a book he'd read called the book I'm referencing, mm-hmm. 4,000 Weeks. Mm-hmm. And listening to that 20-minute episode, I think he I think he got permission to have the clip from the audiobook on his podcast. Listen to that. I was like, went straight to Amazon. Bought it immediately. Bought it immediately. Damn. Um, so the whole premise of the book is four thousand weeks. That's how long the average person gets to live. Oh really? Yeah. That's how long we get. And it's not a book that is telling you how to manage your time better, how to. This has seemed like a long time. Four thousand. Four thousand. That's it. Oh. <laughs> Tom, Tom's going through an existential crisis right now. Well, I'm just thinking, I'm not going to read 4,000. The amount of whiskey I'm drinking, that's, no, that's not happening. Uh, 2,500 maybe? <laughs> but it's not a book about 
here's how you manage your time to get the most out of your the time that you have. Mm-hmm. It's part of, and this is particularly what the um, this is what the chapter that Tim was talking about on his podcast. It's the chapter called the um, it was called uh, Cosmic Insignificance Therapy. Okay, and it's realizing not in a bad way, but kind of in a way to relieve yourself of the pressure of how little time you have is the how because I think what we do as people is we get so caught up in our lives like so we pile so much pressure on ourselves it's mm-hmm. like my job my career uh, my, my career, relationship my, ships, my health my thing you, this is all so well overwhelming it's well consuming and then you just he's like and in this chapter it's like take a second breathe thing like you're a tiny speck of meat floating on a tiny little rock in a little bit in a single solar system in a um, universe in a galaxy or in a galaxy in a universe and it's just like you realise oh okay breathe there's many ways that can be taken the other way there's many ways people, people could be like that's not therapy that's horrific yeah but the way that this single chapter broke it down in a very understandable way and I encourage audience go look up that episode it's 20 minutes listen to it I'm going to send you the link later because I think it's good mm-hmm. um, but just based on the, that single chapter I was like I'm going to go read the rest of the book and I did and I thoroughly enjoyed it okay okay. and it's probably again it is one of those books that I will probably read again because I think the lessons from it are important and it was it was just again I think I read it literally at the start of last year I think it was like either the second or third book I read that year and it's just like this is good yeah I needed I this book right now <laughs> it, it takes good. a lot of pressure it's by the sounds of it it takes a lot of pressure off you um, to be like oh if I have a target that I've given myself to achieve that for every reason I haven't achieved that's not a big deal in the cosmic scale of things. If I have not lived up to the expectations of the people around me, that's not a big deal in the cosmic, ta- cosmic scale of things. If I am not where I wanted to be in life by this time of my life, that's not a big deal in the cosmic scale of things. In fact, there's nothing you could do to impact the cosmic scale of things mm. unless you can somehow realign planets. Yeah, and I think that is just a small part of the book, but it was a good part. Okay. So yeah. Hence why it made it onto my list. I don't think I've probably given it justice, but go listen to that episode. And I think that does it better justice than I can do. Mm-hmm. Right. Number three for our top whiskey. Whiskies. Shall I go first this time? Yeah, by all means, by all means. So my number three was actually your number four. Oh. Which is the Deanston Bordeaux cast. Hey. Yes. Really Everything we said already. Yep, exactly. Straight up there. Really enjoyed it. Only The only shame about that one is that it's a travel exclusive, so you can only really get it from airports unless you're willing to pay a bit more from certain retailers. So, wait, wait, wait. I can only get it if I also agree to go on holiday. Yes, but... I don't see a fault here. I don't see a flaw. But the thing with some travel exclusives, you have to be travelling internationally well, to be able to buy it. Where, but the um, that's fine. I would the, want to the, travel to like, I mean, no offence to Scotland, but it's a bit dreary. Hey, <laughs> you're not Scottish. 
got whiskey. That's what's important. <laughs> Where we live has whiskey. We should make it here. They make it there, so that's why. I go. <laughs> but yes, I uh, I picked this up when I was on, coming back from a um, trip to Scotland. So. Oh, I see. Well, okay. Well, I will go to the Bahamas or somewhere okay. and pick up some of this while I'm on my way there. Okay. Well, you have fun with that. <laughs> Let me know how the Bahamas is. I've never been. I'll take it. <laughs> right. What's your number three, then? My number three is the, we mentioned it already, the Woodford Rye. Hmm. Interesting. I was not expecting that. The, the, uh, I, I, I'm struggling to remember a lot of the whiskeys that we had. Did I not enjoy it at the time? No, I, it's just, I, I, I can't remember. I, it's not one you had really mentioned since. Ah. So. Well, I just love most of the things from this distillery. I'm sure I love the Woodsford Well, true. Right. I think like, possibly 2022, it was the maybe the double oak. That yeah, I loved the double oak. Yeah, I think that might have been your top whiskey from 2022, mm. if I recall correctly. But yes, you do love a good. Good bourbon. Yeah, I do love a good reserve. bourbon. And I, I like to pretend I'm John Wick. <laughs> but he drinks... I'm pretty sure he drinks Blandons. I think in one of the... No, he does. It comes, surely not. Yeah, I'm pretty sure... Well, that's probably product placement, actually. Yeah. But in, I'm pretty sure in one He definitely Blanton's. orders bourbon. I'm pretty sure it's Blandons. Oh. Oh, well. Because we had Blandons on the podcast, didn't we? Yeah. Now it was a bottle split when it was still at a reasonable price. Not unlike it is now. Mm, how much is it? So, uh, does, uh, do you remember what we got it for at the time? I got it for... We got it for 75. Yeah. Uh, we did a bottle split 50-50. Um, it's now at around... I've seen it for going close to £120. Fuck me. Yeah. It was fine, but it was like nothing special. Yeah. It was nice. I'd still pick Eagle Rare 10 over it. Yeah. Particularly for Agreed. the Agreed. Oh, I need to get another bottle of Eagle Rare 10. I haven't had Eagle Rare in years. It's so good. It is probably literally my go-to bourbon. Well, I'm sorry, but Balcones is... Yeah, but you're not going to be able to get that anymore. Oh. <laughs> sorry to rub salt into the wound. If I meet the person who's made this decision, I swear to God. Right. What's your number three for book? Number three for book... My book number three, and there is going to be absolutely zero argument from you on this. <laughs> Red Rising by Pierce Brown. <laughs> Gets a round of applause from Henry. Mm. How good a Wait, book was that? Why is it only number three? <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> it's number, Go on. Go on it on. was just such a good book, though, wasn't oh it? Oh my god, it was so good. It was so good. It's like, um, do you remember back in um, when dystopian fiction was the hype, like with Hunger Games and mm-hmm. Maze Runner and all of that stuff? Which I think is about the time this came out. Uh, yes, that's the point I'm making. It's, it, it's from that whole era. But it's it stands up today because of its, obviously, um, space opera uh, themes. Um, and and, and it's, just, it's just grittier and a bit darker and just more down to earth and hard hitting than these sort of like teen dystopian dramas yeah which i think kind of resonates better much better us, today with us now yeah i think maybe if i read it back then it might i think i would have still really enjoyed it but i don't some of the themes would have gone over our heads when we were teenagers yeah, yeah. whereas now it just it's hits 
so much better. And it's, yeah. Oh, I can't, I can't say enough. Again, the, the reason I found that was through Tim Ferriss. Oh, did he, he talk about it? He didn't talk about it. Actually, I've got a little tangent to go on that. Um, <laughs> okay. So in one of his books, so he did, he did, I think it was, um, it was like Tools of Titans or Tribes of Mentors. But he, inter- of course, he took some of the best lessons he learned from the people he interviews. Mm-hmm. And I was reading that and it was like, what book do you, have you gifted or do you love them? What are your top three books? And someone mentioned Red Rising and they gave a little description of it. It was a sci-fi book. I was like, this sounds amazing. Well, that's something I want to talk about because Red Rising and the books in its series, they actually really encapture human nature. What it means to be human, what separates us from animals. And it really explores like ruthlessness and um, how far your desperation and how far you're willing to go to achieve your goals. And, uh, you know, leadership and things like that. And I can definitely see why you would make make it into a book that's actually not about sci-fi or fantasy, yeah. but just talking about, you know, what do you need to do to achieve things? What do you need to do to be a leader, a winner? And I can definitely see how they would talk about this. But a book, a non-fiction book about being a leader, about being a um, winner, you know, like a go-getter kind of person, to talk about a fiction book, to recommend that? Yeah. That says something. Yeah. It's funny because um, I was listening to another podcast. So another podcast I listened to is called Modern Wisdom. Mm-hmm. And the host of that, yeah. he was doing a, I think he'd reached like a milestone in his subscribers. So he was doing a Q&A. And I think someone asked like, what is what are some of your favourite um, books? Or actually, I think the exact question they asked was, um, if you had a son or daughter... Yeah. What would you call them? He said, "If I had a son, I would call him Darrow after uh, my favorite. Really? Character, after my one of my favorite book characters, Red Rising. Oh. And I was like, yes. Oh. I'm, like, ah, I'm so glad someone else knows that this is such a good book. Um, yeah, I think it's just a hat. And I have to agree, Darrow is an awesome name. He's an awesome. It's I awesome name. I, awesome I, character. I ended up looking it up, and it's actually a. I believe it is a Scottish name. Oh. oh, which is very there fitting. Is so we're, we're drinking a oh, smoked whiskey. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Oh. Um, bourbon. But yes. Uh, yeah. Red Rising. Can't, cannot say enough good things about that book. Anyway, my number three. Go on. So my number three is called The Rifle by Ooh. Andrew Biggio. Andrew... Biggio is how I believe it is pronounced. Biggio. B-I-G-G-I-O. So I misheard that as Birmingham, and I have a quick story to tell you. So at work, we now have a book exchange uh, corner where you can uh, take a book or leave a book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of workplaces do it. And I know that you're a big fan of Mark Billy Birmingham, mm-hmm. who is the um, lead person on the SES Who Dares Wins show. He's written lots of books and you've been to one of his talks. Or at least one of his talks. Mm-hmm. And someone left some books there recently by somebody called Mark Billingham. And they are a bunch of really interesting thriller books. And I was like, Henry did not tell me this. <laughs> uh, different people, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Billy Billingham and Mark Billingham, thriller, thriller writer, are different people. Yeah. 
quite sadly. Anyway, little little interesting story for you. So yeah, so the rifle, Andrew Bigo. Um, so I think I read this probably about November last year. So I discovered this guy. I'm fine, thank you. Um, on another podcast, Behind the Shield, give them a shout out because they are probably, I think they're probably my number two podcast. What's the story behind that name, Behind the Shield? So Behind the Shield, so the host is a former um, firefighter. He's oh. A, he's a British guy uh, who moved out to America. He used to do stunt work, but then ended up becoming a American firefighter mm-hmm. for about, I think like, somewhere between eight to ten years. Um, and then he realised he kind of wanted to do more because he was seeing, like, health crisis and... So certain issues, I feel like I can do more by doing a podcast. And he goes and interviews <clears throat> behind the shield. So ex-firefighters, ex-police, uh, ex-military, paramedics, mm-hmm. some celebrities as well. So yeah, hence the name, behind the shield, those who... People who protect society. Yeah. Um, and I've disc- and one, of it, one of the best questions he does at the end of his um, podcast is what... Uh, do you have a, a, any books that you would recommend to the listeners or any TV series or shows? So the number of books I've discovered through his podcast and <laughs> good shows I've discovered. Um, so one that didn't make my list this year, it was um, called Always an Eagle, mm-hmm. where it follows a fictional... Um, it's a TV show, a book or film? It's a book. book. It follows a fictional um, American soldier from... World War One, all the way up to about the Vietnam War. Damn, he's been through a lot. Yeah, so it kind of follows him through various ranks and everything, um, and some fictional ba- battles based on truth. Okay, um, it's a long book. It was about, I think it's probably one of the longest books I've ever read. It was about a thousand plus pages. Interesting. It took me about a good. Month. I've read longer, but that's still fucking long. Yeah, it took me at least a month to read. In um, fact, is Nuance Shogun earlier? Let me just check how long that is. Yeah, so Shogun is about 1100. Hmm. Yeah, um, so he interviewed the author, so yeah, or interviewed Andrew on his podcast. Mm-hmm. Andrew had such an interest in it. So he's an ex US Marine. Okay. Um, he's tough. Yeah, and he, so um, his, I think it was his great uncle um, had fought in World War Two mm-hmm. in Italy and had been killed okay um, and so he was going through family history and then he, I can't, he just ended up he wanted to learn more he ended up buying a M1 Grand rifle which Damn. was the um, easier to do in America than here <laughs> yeah, which was uh, the rifle that typically used by US soldiers in World War Two mm-hmm and he ended up starting with a conversation with his neighbour, who was a World War Two vet. Okay. And he got his, and so he learned the story of his neighbour, and he got him to sign the rifle. And he's like, I'm going to start something here, because he realised that so many of these veterans, they were passing away, they were dying, mm-hmm. and you were losing their stories and what they did. So he then spent years going around the US collecting the stories of these veterans and getting and they get to the sign the, the rifle. rifle. And so the book is a collection of the stories of these veterans and it's just 
astounding. Like what some of them did. Mm. Some of them were Medal of Honor recipients, which is the highest honor in the US, which is basically the equivalent of our Victoria Cross. Yeah. Um, and he's collecting their stories, so he's like giving an overview of how he got in contact with them, how he met them, um, a little bit about their time there, about where they grew up, their childhood, and how they, what unit they served with in the US, what they did, what medals or what experiences they went through. Like some of them were prisoners of war, oh, some God. of them were Medal of Honor recipients, some of them were like units you basically would never have heard of. And each one was only about roughly 10 to 20 pages each. Mm-hmm. But you went through maybe like 20 to 30 different stories. It's about a 300-page book. But and he, like he even wrote at the end, there's like so many I couldn't include here. But his whole hope was with the book and the rifle that is signed by all these veterans. Is there a photo of it in the book? Yeah, there's a picture of it. And... and He's like, I want to get this in a museum one day. Mm. And it was just, it was just so fascinating. It's just so, like, inspiring and just also a bit shocking, like, some of the trials and tribulations these men yeah, went through. I can imagine. And it's just like, this... Can only imagine. Yeah, sticks with you. And it's like, the amount of effort he put into this book as well, I think that's that's why it deserves that's a place. That's deserves respect. Yeah, it deserves a place on this... Uh, Mention this. So, yeah. Right. Bit heavy. <laughs> Finish up the whiskey. On mm-hmm. to the next. Whiskey! Right. What's next? So, What's next? Final whiskey on our lineup. So, Tom, I'm going to see if you're paying attention. What, what distillery have I mentioned a number of times on the podcast? Oh, God. I've never bought up. Wait, 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 wait. What? Oh, sorry. sorry, what distillery have you brought up many times but never brought up? How about you answer that? As in, never brought on. To <laughs> never brought on to the podcast. You've mentioned it many times, but you've never brought it onto the podcast. Yeah. There's a lot of distilleries, actually. McAllen, for example. <laughs> I know you can't afford it. You can neither of us can afford it. But the point I'm making is, you've got to narrow it down a bit. Okay, I th- we it was included on a conversation about what I would have on my mainstay shelf, like oh, like affordable whiskies. Oh fuck! Well, obviously, Dingerson will be on there. We we brought that on before, um, and Nagneen, but that you brought on before. I don't know, Henry, help me out. Aaron. 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 Um. <laughs> so I've mentioned. Henry looks very disappointed, ladies and gentlemen. So I've mentioned Aaron whiskey before, Isle of Aaron, yeah. particularly Aaron 10, because it's one of those whiskies that's in the £40 range, and it's absolutely delicious. Okay. And I've mentioned it numerous times on the podcast. Yes. And I still don't own a bottle. Oh, why not? Because I've just not never got round to buying one. Oh, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> it's one I've mentioned so many times because it's delicious, and I don't know why I don't own a bottle, because I haven't bought one. But... You finally got one? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got me up there. So, little story behind the whiskey I have here in my hand. And it does not say Aaron. It does not say Aaron. Very well noticed, Tom. Thank you. These glasses work. <laughs> so what I have in my hand here is Lack 
Fantastic! Thank you! <laughs> you really said it this! Which is from... Would anyone like a glass of lag? <laughs> which is from the Isle of Arran. Oh, okay. So, on Arran, you now have two distilleries. You have what is known as Arran, mm-hmm. or is officially known as the Locranza Distillery. Okay. And recently, there was another distillery built 20, back in 2017, known as Lag. Lag. So what I have Simple. here is one of the inaugural releases from oh, that distillery. So one okay. of the very first releases. But the connection between the two is they're basically like brother and sister distillery. So Aaron oh. was set up in the 90s. Yep. And... Primarily consisted of unpeated whiskey. They did make a peated whiskey. So you had Isle of Arran from Locranza, mm-hmm. which is their unpeated whiskey. They then proceeded to make a peated whiskey called yep. Macri Moor. However, Macri Moor. Once the second distillery was built on Arran, Lag, also owned by Locranza, as far as I understand, they have discontinued Macri Moor. Mm-hmm. And Lag is taking over as the peated whiskey from the Isle of Arran. Okay. So, see, so as soon as you said there were two distilleries on the Isle of Arran, I immediately thought rivalry, drama. But you, you're making it sound like they cooperate. Yes, so they actually, I believe, they are owned by the same company. Oh, okay. So they are basically like brother and sister distillery. Now, I picked up this bottle at the very start of last year. Yeah. I've luckily found it in a whiskey shop. I think I was doing a bit of whiskey hunting on a day off in London. And I went to about five or six whiskey shops in that time. And I just finally found this. I had nothing- on my day off, I go, I sleep for extra time. I was stuck in London because of train strikes. So um, I, had the, I had the day off. And I was like, I went to a museum and then I went to... Damn, some- you were bored. Yeah, I went to a whiskey bar and I went to some whiskey shops. And I found this. And I was like, I've heard of this. I know I like Aaron. This is an inaugural release. And it is Sherry Cask. So I am Sherry Cask, you're looking forward. Yes. You're saying this is quite peated? So this is peated. But it's also Sherry Cask. It is Sherry. So it's so this is in the Tom Henry Worlds. Yes. So this is Lag, single malt scotch whiskey, heavily peated. Inaugural release, 2022 batch 2. Ex Oloroso Sherry Cask 50%. Can you remember us watering? Pop that cork. So this was released in 2022. I bought it in 2023, right at the start. So lag. Lag. Built in 2017. Didn't start producing liquid till 2019. Their first release. I don't like the phrase producing liquid. Producing whiskey. In 2019, had to wait three years. First release in 2022. So, as you can see, this bottle was about half empty. So I've been sharing this with friends, colleagues, neighbours, because I thought, hey, it's the first release from a new distillery. Let's get it out there. That's pretty good. I had actually intended to bring this on the podcast much earlier. Yep. So that we could try it together. Kind of got tucked away to the back of my cupboard, and I was like, found it recently. I was like... I'm going to bring this on this episode where we're doing a lot of peated stuff. Fits I, in. Fits in. I also find it funny that given how much I've mentioned Aaron and my love for Aaron, <laughs> I have yet to still bring Aaron on. But here we go. 
Yes! The, the court path. You got the you got to where I could not. It's a very interesting bottle though. It's quite squat. Yes, it's, a, it's an unusual shape. It must be quite hard to pour. Although, I would like to say it's similar to this brimstone bottle. No, it's not. No, no. Oh, God, no. In fact, the neck's much more tapered. <laughs> the neck is much more tapered. No, you're right. It's even hard. You're, I mean, I, I found the brimstone hard to pour for you, but that lag, it seems worse. Yeah. So I thought it was quite interesting. Granted... Since the inaugural release have come out, they've released two core expressions: the Kilmory, which I believe in is a ex bourbon cask, and the Kilcraven Kil- or something, which is Kilcraven. That's a good name. This is when I, it turns out I will have got the two mixed up. But they've oh. since released two expressions: one is ex bourbon cask, and one is ex. They sound very similar. Yeah, but let's let's tuck in. Ooh. A lot harsher on the a lot harsher on the nose than the Lagavulin on the Brimstone. Really? Yeah, I'm getting a lot more peat, a lot more smoke. I might just be a lot more sensitive to that after all of the. Um, Henry, remind me, what's the skull one that I like? That's smoky. Smokehead. That's the one. I could have, I should have remembered that. And that's the sort of like in your face smoke. That's sort of like slap you in the face smoke. To me, I was going to say the lack of ruin, the smoke jumped out at me more. This is more. No, it's, oh, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm more attuned to the smoke than yourself. Uh, the lack of ruin, I was picking out more of the subtler notes, like the um, help me out here, boar bourbon cask. Whereas this one, I'm picking out more of the uh, peatedness. So you said you went from smokiness to peatedness. Sorry, what? Oh no, I'm confused. <laughs> so the lack of ruin. I seem to pick out more of the smoother notes. Okay, you picked out the, uh, the notes underneath. The notes underneath the smokiness, whereas the lag, I'm picking out mostly peated notes. It's me. I'm getting like a slightly oily smokiness. Yes. Yes, I get that. But I'm getting that kind of like uh, underneath that sherry cast, that sort of like a bit of dried fruit there. I'm not getting anything else, I'm afraid. Underneath. Well, let's try it. Yes different hmm still good compared to the others this is like a ashy a bit ashy there's a distinctive taste I'm getting I can't put my finger on the name I want to say olives but it's not olives it's oily it's briny briny yeah it's it's like an ashy oily briny and then that that bit of barbecue sauce dried Mm. fruit to it from the sherry cask I think that's good. That, it's good, though. For young whiskey, because that's only about three years old. Really? Yeah, just over three years old. That's young. That's young. But it's got a lot of character to it, mm. which is is the thing with peated whiskey. So I've tried young peated whiskey. I've yep. tried old peated whiskey. If you want that smoky characteristic you want to go for the younger ones because the older ones when I've tried like some that are like 30 plus years old they've mellowed over the time that longer time in the cask has really mellowed them out you often get a lot of like I find you get a lot of tropical fruity notes I think old I like both I must admit I like both old smoky whiskey but I think that's a really good if I put my marketing hat on a really good marketing ploy like you, you, you start a distillery a lot of whiskies they, they need to take time in the cask. Whereas if you have a peated one, it doesn't need to take as long. Yeah. 
Because often, yeah, that the smoke, the peatiness, the fennels and everything, there's so much more prevalent. Time for your number two whiskey then, Tom. My number two whiskey, we've already mentioned it, and that would be Starwood. Really? Yeah, I really enjoyed wow. it. Wow, <laughs> I was not expecting that. It took a, I, I don't know if you, you gave me a little bit to save in a little sample bottle after the podcast I don't know if I had the strength of will to save it it might be in that pile over there <laughs> things <laughs> kind of get lost at this point various samples I've given you but I think I was saving it for like a special occasion I, I think it gave me two bottles I let myself have one mm. and I saved the other one but I, I, it was just really easy and simple to drink and I, I just I really like the name and the bottle I think the name on the bottle really helps me enjoy a whiskey I know it sounds a bit superficial but I was like, oh, it's Star Wars. It's a bit sci-fi-esque. It's a bit like... It reminded me of um, Starfield, I mentioned earlier, the video game. Um, and it was just very simple and easy to enjoy. Yeah. If, you want a ni- if you want a nice whiskey, you want to sit outside, look at the stars, and there's like a fire pit nearby, and you want to just sit and relax and drink a whiskey, and you don't have to worry about it. It's not too expensive. Right? It's not too expensive. It's not going to hit you in the face of a load of flavors. It's just an easy, mellow, chill whiskey. Uh, risky whiskey. It's not a risky whiskey. <laughs> and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I Can argue. Yeah. Uh, like I say, it's on my top five. Fair enough, it makes it onto your top five. Yeah. Right. What's your number two? What's your number two? <laughs> You're going to laugh at this. Really? So my number two was your number five. Really? Springbank 10? Uh, 15 even? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I am going to honourable mention the 10. Yeah. Because the 10 was really nice. Yeah. But me being very much a big sherry cask whiskey guy, the 15 was just... It was a nice whiskey. Yeah, it was, nice it was a nice whiskey. And yeah, for you, for like... When we when I had him on the episode, I was like, Tom's going to prefer the 10, and I'll prefer the 15. And when you said 15, I was like, what? Oh, my God. So Maybe it's just that good. Maybe it's just that it good. It is really good. Like I said, still got some left. Slowly sipping it, savouring it. It's very nice. And just... I kind of... I do get the hype a little bit behind Springbank, but at the same time, I think... I'm savouring these bottles, but I'm not in a rush to chase down backups yeah because A I've got so much in my collection already and B there's still so much more to try yeah yeah which is the fun thing about this podcast is we get to try loads of different well, we do we try different stuff every episode right number two for books I'm gonna start us off go ahead so my number two was Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield oh oh is this one of those Stephen Pressfield oh Oh, no, you have spoken to me about this before off the podcast. Is it about a Spartan warrior by any chance? Yes. So this was Stephen Pressfield's rendition of basically the 300 Spartans. Uh, at Thermopylae. At Thermopylae. So the Battle of Thermopylae. Bonus points if you can get the year. I forget. <laughs> me, me too. I interrupted <laughs> with dates. It's before Christ. I know that. No. BCE. <laughs> But yeah, this was, again, another book that had been, 
Funny enough, mentioned on Behind the Shield podcast oh. a number of times. I think I've heard it also mentioned on other podcasts. Well, you caught me um, recently reading, well, rereading um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressford. Yep. And he um, mentions, or at, more accurately, the guy who wrote the introduction to that book mentions that people studying history or something along those lines are told to read Pressfield. Because his his um, uh, heroic historical fiction is just that good. Yeah, and it was a phenomenal book. Because unlike the film of Three Hundred, it you've seen it now. I haven't still haven't seen. You it. still haven't seen it. What uh, you want? I, I'm just going off of what you've told me. Oh, okay, but I, well, I mean the film is not exactly historically accurate. Yes, but I think this this book is a bit more on the side of history in that the fact that it was not just. 300 Spartans who held the line and who held the gap at Thermopylae. It was them in a combination of other Greek allies. I mean, in the film, that's the least of the historical inaccuracies. But it is incredibly... far too much whiskey for that long a word. (laughs) (laughs) But it is an incredibly well-written book. The action and the storytelling is... Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, it is it's told from the perspective of one of the characters who was at the battle, but it also it it jumps back and forth between this character's past and the pre- uh, the present. Uh, so, can I ask a question? Is the story that character relating the account of what happened at the battle? Yes. So in a way, it's sort of like, a, like, like I'll give you bonus points. I had to do, I had to study English literature for A level. I'll give you a bonus point if you can say what that kind of narrative is called. I think it's a form of frame narrative. I couldn't say. <laughs> so I, I, it, it, I it, it's where you have a character. Tell the, the main story is like part. Uh, you have like a, a sort of like an outside plot of a character telling the story of the main story. Does that makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah, that is basically it. It's him recounting the story of the Spartans and the Greeks to Prince Xerxes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like he's, that he's, reminds me of a book, not last year, but the year before that I mentioned in our top my, my top five, which is Empire of the Vampire mm-hmm. by Jay Kristoff. Yeah. Which is basically the same thing, but with a vampire hunter. war. <laughs> a vampire it's hunter versus vampires. Yes experience of the war yeah so it's very similar to that i'm guessing yeah this is the same it's him recounting the war and his personal history as well and how he became involved in the war and with the spartans because the character isn't a spartan he is like one of their squires it's possible this book inspired that book who knows have to ask stephen pressfield and uh jay christoph jay christoph i don't know if stephen Stephen pressfield would know but it was a great book and even like some of the there's a lot of action to it but you obviously the discussion of some of the quieter moments where like the characters are discussing I think one of them's discussing what is the opposite of fear and it's a discussion that takes place throughout multiple chapters and and it's like what is courage what is fear what is love and, it's, and one of the things is, what is the opposite of fear? It is love. And it's like, the opposite of fear is, is the, the love of the brother, your brother in arms, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck, you're in a battle. Yeah. Your life is on the line. 
but why are you still standing here at the front of the line? It's for the man to the right of you, it's the, f- man, the man to the left of you. Your care of them as brother in arms, you will not let them down. It's like they, and they. Many people would argue is that um, fear gives you strength. Yeah. How can you fight harder and run faster if you're not afraid? Um, you know, the adrenaline you get from being afraid can help, you know, people say the difference between bravery and stupidity is stupidity is that brave people are still afraid. They just do what they need to do anyway. I think that's why it comes just after or it, the the gates of fire and the rifle were so close in convention to you because it just shows you that it both books talk about brave men. Mm-hmm. And the strength that they had and yeah it just kind of it kind of resonated with me even though it's a fiction book it, historical fiction is just and I think Stephen Pressfield is a very good writer yeah like you said Warren Art we've discussed it on the podcast before and then I didn't like you did not like it initially I didn't no and then when I saw you rereading it I was like this is interesting just because I didn't like it doesn't mean there aren't lessons to learn yeah exactly and that's what I like. That's why I'm stirring my words, so I've had a lot of whiskey. <laughs> but that's why I mentioned so many books that have imparted lessons to me and books I will know I will continue to go back to throughout my life. It's because you can learn so much from literature. Mm, absolutely. Anyway, your number two book. My number two book. My number two book. My number two book. <laughs> it's a very different tone from your number two book. Okay. Go ahead. My number two book was Storm Dancer by Jay Kristoff. <laughs> <laughs> you do. So Storm Dancer by Jay Kristoff. It's about it's an alternate history book, which is basically, and I can summarize it in two words: steampunk samurai. Sounds familiar. Instead of the traditional samurai armor, they have like armored mechs, and they have chainsawed katanas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have airships. <laughs> they have supernatural creatures. Mm-hmm. They're in an eternal war with these Viking people. I think. Yep, I remember you talking about this book now, and it sounds kind of awesome. It sounds awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it was amazingly written. If they made it into a TV show, they'd, they'd only just have to copy it scene for scene. Like, I, I really enjoy these books where the scenes are incredibly cinemagraphic, if that's a phrase. Cinematophic? Cinematic? Cinematic. Cinematic. Thank you. Cinematic. These cinematic scenes, um, like, you can clearly see, like... Um, you can clearly see you know scenes that are meant to set up characters, set up the setting, set up the plot, and then you can see where you can basically like someone who's become ridiculously too genre savvy like me can see uh, the bare bones of the story, but it's just so well put together, mm. and it's just so well done. I don't have any bad words to say about it. It would <laughs> it would make a fantastic TV show if somebody had the budget. <laughs> that or a good animated show. It would. It would do it amazingly. I um Studio Ghibli would run wild with this. <laughs> Although it's a little bit too dark. I'm just imagining like steampunk samurai and like the style of Princess Mononoke now. Yeah, I know. And it works, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. It really does. 
It really does. It was absolutely amazing. And for a long time, I've been debating it myself. God's Grave by Jay Kristoff and Storm Dance by Jay Kristoff. And I mentioned God's Grave as my honourable mention, and this is the book that knocked it off the knocked it off the top five. Because I'm just like, unfortunately, this one just pushed forward. So the question is, yes, what pushed that book off not the number one spot? That would be my number one book. Yeah, what is it? What is it? Go on. My number one book is Crooked Kingdom by Leigh Bardugo. Another name I recognise. Another name you recognise. Of course, probably because I spoke about Six of Crows last year. Now, some people absolutely hated that book and some people absolutely loved it. I loved it. I don't know what's to love about a fantasy heist book. Now, you've got me already. <laughs> but this book is the sequel. And it's about what they do when they get back home and it's not all of what they thought it would be. And very early on in the book, one of the major characters, Kaz Brecker, who is amazingly written, has this amazing scene where they're robbing somebody, somebody's house and they come across uh, his t- young daughters broken up, woken up and talk, caught them. And it's this amazing scene about his interaction with this little girl. And it's incredibly dark, but also completely captures his character perfectly. And I was reading this scene and I was just like, Okay, that's horrible. That's a little bit mean of him, but it also captures his character perfectly. And this is just brilliant. And the rest of the book did not disappoint. The amount of twists and turns, I just really enjoyed it. This is one of those books that the previous one was so good, and then the following one just lived up to it. Lived up to it. It lived up to it. It lived up to it. I think the first one just about beats it. Yeah. absolutely um, and the TV show the, the season 2 of Shadow and Bone kind of captures this the, uh, well, yeah season 2 of Shadow and Bone this didn't do it justice mm-hmm. although I still enjoyed it it was just brilliant it just hit the nail on the head nice and I was reading it like this is just exactly what I imagined exactly, for this character exactly what you wanted okay. and the casting of this character in the TV show kind of perfectly resonated with how I imagined the character from the book. Wait, is this a TV show? So, um, the Six of Crows um, book by Leigh Bardugo is merged with Shadow and Bone by Leigh Bardugo into the Shadow and Bone TV show. Oh, right, I understand. In a way, and... Shadow and Bone, I read that. That was good. That's a good book. You haven't seen the TV show yet, though, have you? No, because I've been told... Read the first couple. Yes, by me. Watch- <laughs> <laughs> and, and I stand by that. And then watch the TV show. When you see Kaz Brecker in the TV show after you've read Six of Crows, you'll be like, that's exactly how I picture him. Mm. Or actually, maybe watch the TV show before you read Six of Crows. Maybe that helps. Mm. I tend to prefer reading stuff before. Well, fair enough. But anyway, I was like, that's exactly how I pictured him. Nice. And it all just ties together. And then Six of Crows just really builds on his character in the best way. So What's talk, your number one? So talking of books, the, the sequels just continue to build and build and build and just make it better. I think I can guess what your number one is now. <laughs> I've guessed it. I'm going to cheat here. Hmm? I'm cheating. You're cheating? I'm cheating. 
How are you cheating? How can you cheat this? Because I'm the host. I made the rules. <laughs> I mean, technically, you made the host. You ain't paying the rent on this building. Yeah. <laughs> you owe me a lot of money if that's the case. So my top book is Red Rising. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Is that how you're cheating? But it's not just Red Rising. Is it also by Eddie Child's Golden Sun? Golden Sun. Do you know what? I'll let you have two. And it's... Uh, is that your number two or number one? No, no, no. This is just number one. Okay, okay. It's okay, the entire fair. Red Rising trilogy. You say... Have you read the third book already? I read the third book. Oh, you didn't tell me that! <laughs> Did I not? No! I read the third book. Oh, my God! Yeah. Um, oh, what's it called? Morning Star? Morning Star. Thank Morning you. Star. So, yes. Red Rising, Golden Sun, Morning Star. I can't, I can't different, differentiate between <laughs> three. They do kind of pick up when you haven't left off. They are probably on par with some of the best books I've ever read. Mm, that's a good series. Like, Joe Abercrombie, I think, was some of the top books from last year and the year previous. Yeah. Red Rising series has basically been the equivalent of that. Okay, and okay. It is. Absolutely, it's completed. Like it's, it's delivered. It's delivered. It delivered everything you want: character, drama, epic scenes, politics, character development. So much good stuff, and just like all three books, just tie in together perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it is by far one of the best series I've ever read. Yeah, hands down, probably the best sci-fi series I've ever read. But hands down, one of the best. I think this might be controversial. Ooh. Comparing it to Hunger Games and Maze Runner and all the books of that kind of ilk, of like the dystopian stuff. Yep, I'd definitely say it beats them. This is the best one. Yeah, this sure. is the best one by far. And I, I agree with you. I think it. I think some of the themes and everything would not have resonated with us quite as much as if we'd read these one with it's teenagers. not really for teens no. no it's a slightly I think late teens mm-hmm. uh, yeah I think it's Le- a uh, more that, like the university students levels yeah. like if you enjoyed um, Hungry Games and Maze Runner in your early teens you transition into this book when you go to university yeah this is even I wouldn't yeah, even right. recommend this to people who aren't like big fiction readers. This is just read it. It is like one of the best books I think I've ever read. Like I said, that it's been a while since I've had a book that I've stayed up till about two in the morning. Oh, reading because it's like like I said, I think Red Rising. I read in three days. Mm, this is a, a miracle for you. Uh, sorry, I mean it's very rare for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, compared to you, I'm not as fast a reader. I'm not a slow reader, but I'm not as. Mm, You're not ridiculous like me. Yeah, you just devour books. I but, read the latest Dresden books, Battlegrounds, in a day. Yeah, I can't do that. That's what about three, four hundred pages. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, fours and twenty something. Yeah, that would take me about a week. Four hundred pages, roughly, would take me about a week. I read it in ten Red, hours straight. Yeah, Red Rising. I took breaks only to eat. In fact, I don't remember doing that. 
Red, Red Rising, I read in about three days. So that's about 100 plus pages a day. I was up till like 2 a.m. on the third day reading it. And bear it in mind, do you have dyslexia? Yep. Yeah. And you ace that book. No, dyslexia has never really affected my reading, apart from occasionally I read something. I was like, that word didn't make sense. I reread it. I was like, that's not the right word. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's always more spelling and grammar. Uh, fair um, enough fair enough yeah for someone who's dyslexic and loves reading as much as I am to read a book in three days you enjoyed it and I completely understand it because it's not really a like a simple easy kind of read it's definitely a sort of there are complex themes here there are deep themes here that you can really get your teeth into yeah but but that doesn't detract from the characters or the emotion no and literally like in Second Son the scene of the Iron Rain. Yeah. It's, it's literally like, it's like from Halo with the... Goosebumps? Goosebumps? Yeah. It's like with Halo with the ODST dropping in, like just all these sh- these shuttles falling down from the sky and it's just like such an epic scene. Yeah. Like, God damn, this is such a good This book. is sick. This is sick. And I know there's a, I think there's a prequel series. No, sorry, sequel series. And I'm like... I'm getting that. I'm reading that. It's over there. You can borrow it. Uh, it's. <laughs> I'm just so looking forward to it. But yeah, Red Rising, Pierce Brown, damn, it's really good <laughs> books. Yeah. And if he writes other stuff outside of the Red Rising universe, I seriously look forward to what else he can come. I str- I think he struggled to top this. He would, yeah, it is such a good thing, but. It's just like Joe Abercrombie and his World Outside, the first Law trilogy. Um, I want to see what else they can do. Did you read Half a World, Half a War, Half a King? Half a King, Half a World, Half a War. I forget what's all we're going. I've read the first one. I have the others to read. Yeah, they're quite good. They're quite good. They were really good. Uh, The first one, at least, I really enjoyed. The second one's pretty good. The third one, I really enjoyed. The villain is one of my favourite villains in literature. But, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what else Pierce Brown come up with. But, yeah, I'm definitely going to be reading the rest of the um, series. Right. Tom. Yes? What books are you looking forward to reading for the 2024? Well, I'm glad you asked him. <laughs> uh, near the end of last year, two books came out, which I am ashamed of, but I haven't read yet. And those are... The Olympian Affair by Jim Butcher. I had to look over there to re- read the title, um, which is the second in the Cinder Spires series. And we read the first one and talked about it on the podcast, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. I'm looking forward to seeing where Captain Grimm is, who's just like a picture-perfect character of like very prim, proper, <laughs> and where everybody else is. Um, I'm also looking forward to reading um, Booksops and Bone Dust. I had to make sure I got the right way around. By Travis Baldry, which is the sequel to um, Lessons and Lattes by Travis Baldry, which is the book about an orc berserker who opens a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah, I remember you talking about that once. Do make it a face, but it's become extremely popular. <laughs> So they're both on my shelf over there that I'm looking forward to reading. 
Well, the first one you mentioned, the one by Jim Butcher. You're also hoping to read. I already have, and I'm um, going to read. I recently bought a novella from... Oh, yes, Jim what were you bought? That's over there as well. I li- it literally turned up two days ago. Oh, really? That's late. Oh, no, because I only just ordered it. Oh, in that case, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I only ordered Sorry, that. Amazon. Jeff, don't kill me. <laughs> so, yes, I only just ordered it. And it's just turned up, so I'm going to probably read that after my current book. Mm-hmm. And so I think it'll kind of give me a little bit of a refresher of the world. Cause granted, there's been a big gap between the first Cinder Spy series. There has been a massive gap. It's been about five, six years, I think. At least, yeah. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it'll give me a little bit of a refresher of the world and the series as a whole. Um, I'm also looking forward to the sequel book to Empire of the Vampire by Jay Kristoff. We talked about that on the podcast before, and it's my like the first. It wasn't the first book I read by Jay Kristoff. I read Never Night first, but it was definitely a book that made me fall in love with him as an author. Nice. I'm gonna look at another little look back on the year. Are there any whiskies? Yes. That you've tried from 2023 that we didn't feature on the podcast, but you thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, you're my go-to guy for whiskey. <laughs> you can answer this question as well as I could. I mean, Balcones would be the go-to if we hadn't just tried that brimstone. But maybe the regular Balcones, a normal uh, bourbon, I would highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I might also say, I, I think it was last year, the... Um, Whiskey shop special that blend I got. I think that might be in twenty twenty two. I think it might have been actually now that yeah. you mention it. But I would recommend that otherwise. Nice. Otherwise the Glen Livet Madura. Which was very strong and very nice. Hmm. Yeah. I got it as a gift. I remember teasing my parents who got it for me for how strong it was. And now they feel really <laughs> guilty and refuse to buy me any more whiskey and that's completely backfired. <laughs> I mean, you've got a nice little selection over there, so mm. I think you're okay for now. Yeah, I'm absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what would I say? I what would you say in the, to this, uh, this this question? I would say... You've uh, tried so many whiskies. Yes, yeah, so having... Well, working in the whiskey industry, um, it means I get to try quite a few nice things. So when I was on holiday in Scotland last year... No, it's going to flex uh, that. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I can have time off work and fucking go on holiday. Went to Glenlivet, not Glenlivet, sorry, Glenfarcus, which is one of my favourite distilleries. And I was going oh. to We haven't uh, had done much of Glenfarcus on the podcast. We've done the 10 and the 25. When? 2022, I think it was. Oh. Yeah, we've definitely had them on before. Because I bought the 10-year-old one and I bought you the little sample of the 25 because I bought it on the uh, 25th. Yes, you did. Yeah, that's the one. So, went there. It's a long time ago, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Many a decade ago. Not quite that long. <laughs> but I, was, I went to their distillery and when we were in the warehouse, we happened to be in there at the same time as their warehouse manager. Oh. Who was showing a private tour around. He went up to a cask and it's like, oh, I was going to pour the AUS guy some, but seeing as you're here and you've had to listen to your tour guide for so long, you guys might as well enjoy some as well. 
And it was a Diploma. car. And it was a cask. I think it was from either 1962 or 1963. Fucking hell. Straight from the cask. Damn. Trying it neat. I bet you were giddy as a schoolboy. It was amazing. Like <laughs> getting to try a whiskey that was 60, 60 plus years old. If you could measure happiness with uh, like you can the heat on an uh, infrared scale, you'd be bright. Yeah, it was like, it was just pure luck of the draw that we were there at that time that he was showing these people around. He's like, Here, what are chances? You guys have some as well. And I'm like, yeah! This is trying the oldest whiskey I will possibly ever get to try yeah. right here, right now. It's like at least 60 plus years old. Straight from the cask. And it was good. The Macallans in that collection I mentioned earlier are about 60 years old. The ones that sold for a million dollars. Crazy. I don't think anyone will ever open those bottles. No. What now? Mm. Whiskey show. I got to try some really nice stuff. Yeah. Um, I got to try a 31-year-old Lagavulin, which I'm pretty sure when I was there, I sent you a picture of that. I think you did. The jealousy like, yeah, cannot be contained very... in, this, in the audio quality available to this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, very There heavy. are subtle sub notes to my voice right now. <laughs> <laughs> Henry is laughing at me nervously, but he's afraid. But yeah, that was really nice. Um, I got to try a single cask um, Chichibu, which is a uh, Japanese What, sorry? Chichibu. Chichibu. Yeah, which is a Japanese whiskey. I don't know my suspect for that name. <laughs> it sounds like the things you ride in the Final Fantasy games. Um, Cockabos or something. Chocobos? Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> I had much respect for that whiskey, man. Yeah, that was really cool to try because um, that was through someone I'd met through when I was in Scotland, happened to be at a bar chatting to one of the guys who was there. And he was like, I'm going to be at the whiskey show. I'm, gonna, I'm like, I'm going to be there for work as well. It's, it's like, sometimes difficult, especially if you're an introvert, but always chat to people in situations like this. You yeah. never know who you're going to meet, who you're going to discover. No, that's the thing. It's like, that's one of the things I like about going to whiskey and whiskey bars is the number of conversations I've had with people. Um, that's been amazing. Like, I was at a whiskey bar. I heard this guy talking, and he was talking about um, some some sort of, like, project he was involved with, and I turned to him, and I was like, he was, like, two spaces away from me. Are you? I'm like, sorry, are you so-and-so? He's like, Yeah. Like, did you used to work for such and such company? He's like, yes. It's like, I work for that company. I've heard you on a podcast. And then literally spent the rest of the evening chatting to him, having a couple of drinks. And it was just super fun and really chilled out. Um, It's a great icebreaker whiskey. It's a great icebreaker. Um, Especially if you're in the industry already. Yeah. So that's that's another fun thing. But yeah, chatting to this guy who was working at a bar told me he was going to be at the whiskey show. I said, I'm going to be there as well. Went and saw him at the whiskey show. Pulled out stuff from behind his stand. It was like, not many other people getting to try this. Here you go. Trying some awesome stuff. Nice. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. 2023. <laughs> How drunk were you at that whiskey con? Um, well, uh, I was working, so I couldn't get too... Too, too drunk. No. So it was kind of... Pick out a few key spots, 
go and try some nice stuff with some people I know or some places I'm interested in. <laughs> but got to get back to work afterwards. <laughs> oh, dear. Maybe the next time it happens, I'll get in and I'll be like, Hi, Henry! Tell me all the good stuff. <laughs> Tell me where else I can be going! You'll be like, I hate you. You can get drunk. I hate I, you. I've never seen this man before in my life. Kick him out. <laughs> That's what I would say. I know the security company. They're like, no, we love him. <laughs> yeah. 2023, not a bad year. A lot good. Of, good. A lot of whiskey. A lot of travelling around whiskey country in Scotland a lot of good books we had a few mountains you you had a good time yeah it was good fun but yeah here's to a good 2024 I'm sure we'll discuss plans for that next episode cheers cheers <laughs>